Normally, this would be the time in which we would ask someone to come forward and read our scripture for the day, which is Psalm 139. Um, But we are blessed. We've been blessed all summer by Rory Woodbury, who has a gift for the theater arts, who has served as an intern, helping us to develop the ministry of drama here at Grace. And so she is going to present to us a dramatic reading of Psalm 139. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to page 433, which is Psalm 139, But you'll come back to them later. For now, just give your full attention and take in the words, the song of Psalm 139 as presented to us by Rory Woodbury. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind you before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. For the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. And my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, Lord, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Keep those Bibles open to page 433 to Psalm 139. There is perhaps no deeper or more profound human longing than to know and to be known by another person. Yet this innate desire for closeness, total closeness, the experience of being completely and mutually vulnerable with someone is a yearning that remains for many unfulfilled. Despite the blessings of family, Despite the gift of friendship, despite even the covenant of marriage, most relationships do not get much beyond 
a superficial or shallow level. Finding the time, right? Finding the time, having the space, and building the trust to open up and go deep, to honestly bear our souls to another person is something that eludes most of us. Even in a day and age when advances in technology continue to make communication between persons easier, we perceive ourselves to be more isolated and disconnected than ever before. For all the time we save sending a text, we miss the rapport that is unconsciously built by looking into another person's eyes while we talk rather than a non-responsive screen while we type. As tempting as it is to try and resolve conflict behind feelings mediated through an email or a Facebook post, we foster even greater relational distance through an absence of tone and a lack of courage to visibly face the effects of our words on another person. With so much busyness in our lives, with so many distractions, with all of our purposeful intentions to hide things from other people, the lies we tell, the secrets we keep, with our unconscious tendency to deceive even ourselves, can we ever hope to really know anyone? As you heard Rory wonderfully express for us, the writer of track 139 in the playlist of the book of Psalms begins his song by poignantly answering this question, yes, you have searched me and know me, Lord. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you perceive my thoughts from afar. The first seven verses of this psalm declare with increasing wonder the extent of God's knowledge, not only of the songwriter, but of us, all of us. The Lord's knowledge of us reaches to the extremes of the metaphysical, the immeasurable heights of heaven and the depths, Sheol, the underworld, the Lord's knowledge of us reaches to the extremes of the physical world, the wings of the dawn and the far side of the sea, beyond the horizon where the light and the darkness intersect. The Lord's knowledge of us reaches to the extremes of time, past, present, and future, from the moment of our conception to our very last breath on earth. God, our Father, knows us completely. The word know used here implies knowledge more than an intellectual or a simply informational way. You've probably heard this before, but in Hebrew, the word know is a relational word, suggesting engagement, intimacy. What do we mean by intimacy? Well, one way to think of it is this, and it's a reality that we live in in our lives, we can be connected to other people on a broad level, meaning we have many of the same intersections and overlaps with them in our lives. You know, we run in the same circles, we share the same interests. But true intimacy isn't about sharing the width of our lives because as we, as we experience, even though we may occupy the same space with another person, the busyness of everyday life can still make us feel like ships passing in the night. Where we know something of someone's location 
We know something about their schedule, but we don't know who they are. We don't know where they are internally. True intimacy is when we let people inside, below the surface, into the depth of our lives, our passions, our scars, our hopes, our dreams. We, when we get close to another person, we let them see, we let them know what we're feeling and what we're thinking. Real intimacy is about knowing someone so well you can look into their eyes and understand what they're thinking or feeling without saying a word. In fact, if we ever achieve that kind of intimacy with another person, once we've experienced that with another person, when it's missing, we often say things like, I don't even know who you are anymore. I don't even know who you are anymore. This is the kind of knowledge the songwriter is talking about. It's in this sense that our Father knows us. In other words, God's knowledge of us is more than facts and figures, more than a bunch of biographical data, some cosmic resume of our lives, more than some detailed notes written in our file in some cold and detached sense. God's connection to us is not just a surface or superficial relationship. God, our Father, knows us broadly, intimately, and deeply. We're not God's lab experiment, his test subjects. We're not the Lord's corporate staff, employees who work for his company. God, our Father, knows us as his children. And so long before we had the advent of Facebook to announce to everybody who can possibly hear that Chris is in a relationship with Beth. This is big on Facebook, right? You know, you change your relationship status. Long before we had Facebook to let as many people as humanly possible know that so-and-so is in relationship with another person, God revealed to the entire universe he is in a relationship with us through sharing his life creating us in his image and giving us his breath. God announces to the world through the giving of his word, the Bible, and then making that word become flesh in Jesus Christ, raised up on a cross, just how committed he is to this relationship, to knowing and being known by us. In fact, as the psalmist highlights, God knows us in a way that no one else does or ever can. You see, we're trapped in a, a linear chronology, right? We view our lives and we view the lives of other people according to a timeline defined by the past, the present, and the future. Our knowledge of ourselves and of others is limited by what we remember about yesterday, what we perceive in the moment, and what we anticipate or guess as we wait to see what's around the corner. We are bound by time in terms of what we know about others and what they in turn can know about us. But God, as the psalmist sings, is eternal, unbound by time. Therefore, God knows us in our fullness in a way no one else ever can. God know, God's knowing of us extends beyond who we are now back to who we were and forward to who we will become. Our Father knew us from the beginning, from before the beginning, when each of us was just a twinkle in our parents' eyes. 
a thought, a hunch. Our Father knows us where we are going before we get there. We assume we have tomorrow, but God knows exactly how many tomorrows we have left. I don't know about you, but for me, it is wonderfully comforting to understand how fully, how completely we are known by this God. Because the truth is, God not only knows us better than anyone else, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And again, for me, this is very, very reassuring. Because I don't know what your life's been like, but if you're like most people, and I don't think there's any deviation from this, at some point along the way, at the beginning, middle, and end, maybe all three, we struggle with our identity. We struggle with our identity, with knowing who we are. We wrestle with understanding our feelings. Why do I feel this way? We wrestle with clarifying our intentions. I'm trying to just make it clear what I intended. We, re- we, we wrestle with making sense of our motivations. What's driving me? Where is this coming from? And we can spend our lives looking to make the connection with just one other person so we can know, right? So we can be sure about ourselves, our sense of belonging, our sense of purpose. And yet the tragic irony of life in this world, right? The tragic irony of life in this world is on the one hand, no one can tell us who we are. No one can tell us who we are. And yet on the other hand, we are bombarded by people who are trying to pin labels on us and make us fit into their categories all the time. If we can't really ever know another person, how can we really know ourselves? And yet, again, if those Bibles are open, if you're listening, as the psalmist sings, there is a frame of reference. There is a fixed point for knowing who we are. And it's our awareness that God knows us. The Lord is involved in our lives. The Lord is committed to our well-being, desiring we know him as well as he knows us. Why? Because when we come to know who God is, we truly come to know ourselves. And this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, after all, we're created in the image of God, so we bear the family likeness. Therefore, the more we understand who God is, the better we appreciate our reflection, our resemblance of that image. If you'll permit me, coming back around to last week's message, the psalm that we were looking at last week, this is another way of understanding the problem, the danger of idolatry. Idolatry, as we talked about last week, when you pare it down, is fundamentally self-worship. But it's worship of a false self. Not who we are in God's image, but perceiving ourselves, if you will, through a lesser and inferior mirror. We become what we worship. And we were created in the image of God. Our lives are hidden in Christ. Idolatry is inherently dangerous because it reflects a false sense of who we are. Again, as I say, this is very meaningful to me, very poignant to to really bask a bit, and I'm kind of have you sitting in it a little bit, that God knows us so completely, so fully. I think I may have shared this a couple of years ago in one of the sermons I preached. I don't talk about it a lot, 
but this is poignant to me. It really strikes a chord for me because I tried to take my life when I was a seventh grader. When I was in seventh grade, I tried to kill myself. Again, I don't talk about it a lot. It's not something that I carry any angst about. There was a time when I was very ashamed. But this means something to me because I can think back to that time. I think, can think back to that, that age that I was at as a seventh grader. I can think back and I was just, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't breathe. All those labels that people would pile upon me. So many labels, so many different categories people tried to fit me into. And all those masks that I was trying to wear so that I could fit in with this person or that person or this group or that group, it was just tedious. I was tired. I was overwhelmed. And I came to the breaking point. I came to that place, that place between life and death because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget that moment, that moment on that razor's edge, crying like I've, I don't think I've ever cried before in my life. I'll never forget that I didn't know anything. That was what was so heartbreaking. That was what was so hard. That's why I was throbbing when I cried. I didn't know anything. But in that moment, in not knowing anything, there was one thing that suddenly I knew. I didn't know who I was. But the one thing I knew was God did. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget how I prayed. I'll never forget what, what I said because to be honest, they're not words that I formed on my own. They were words that were given to me. Just like the scriptures talk about the spirit gives utterance to things we can't put into words. They got put into words, but it's not something that I thought. It just rose up from within me almost like a groan in the midst of crying. Lord, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. Tell me. Show me. Teach me who am I? And it's been a touchstone in my life ever since. I hear God in lots of different ways, but there's one way definitively I hear God again and again, and it goes back to that moment. It's those moments when I forget. It's those moments when I get overwhelmed. It's those moments when I'm struggling, and God says to me so loud and so clear as he did back when I was in seventh grade, Chris, you're more than this. Fill in the blank. Chris, you're more than this. Chris, you're more than this. And this isn't just knowledge for a seventh grader. As a pastor, as I've grown into my vocation, I'm here to tell you that I've encountered full-grown adults who need to learn who they are by realizing how much God knows them, who need to hear God say, you're more than that next drink you're gonna take. You're more than that job you just got let go from. You're more than that college you didn't get into. You're more than the disappointment you feel because your kids didn't do what you wanted them to do or be what you wanted them to be. You're more than, you're more than. You know, you, six years in, it's coming up. I've been here six years, which is pretty interesting. Um, and, and people have commented recently um, on the fact that there's a, a word that I say a lot. I will say a lot when I preach, beloved. 
And some people like it. They share with me, I like it. And other people are like, man, I, if I counted, if I get bored when you preach, I count how many times you say beloved. And by the way, thanks for that. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> but I want to share something with you. I think it's time. Six years in, I, I think I should share something with you. Why I say it. It's not, it, it, that, that word beloved is very meaningful to me. It's very meaningful to me because, again, going back to that touchstone moment, that was one of the first things that God taught me, that God showed me, that God gave me about who I am. And it's foundational that I am beloved. That and before anything else that the world puts on me, that I put on myself, I am beloved. That's who we are. That's how God knows us. And I say that to you with intentionality. I say it to you with purpose because I want you to hear God saying what he said, what he says to me. That first and foremost, we are beloved. We are created out of love. We are created to be loved. And we are created to be loving. Beloved. And so, beloved. God's knowledge of us is both comforting. It's comforting. It can, it can give us a peace that we, is, it, the world cannot give. But I also want to acknowledge, as the psalm writer does, that God's knowledge of us, while it can be comforting, can also be equally terrifying. As the songwriter in Psalm 139 reflects on how intimately God knows our thoughts, our actions, our plans, our emotions, and even our words, first it inspires great awe. If you have your Bible open, listen as he sings, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. But if you listen carefully, it doesn't take long for great anxiety to follow. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Can I have any personal time to myself? Can I get any, any place that just is mine? Why? Why both? Why is this idea of God's knowledge of us both comforting and yet terrifying. Because here's the thing, to be known is both our greatest longing and also our greatest fear. To be known is our greatest longing and yet the tragic irony of life in this world is it also happens to be one of our greatest fears. Because think about it, if and when we do manage to establish a deeper connection with someone, if and when we do manage to establish a deeper connection with someone, we have to face the risks that come with that intimacy. We're exposed to the possibility of betrayal, the violation of having a confidence or trust we give to another person broken. We're exposed to the possibility of rejection, the inadequacy and insecurity left after we open ourselves before another soul and then have that person choose something or someone other than us. We're exposed to the possibility of isolation for creatures like us built for relationship to suddenly find we have no one. We are on our own. We are alone. The acute pain of betrayal, rejection, and loneliness can leave us asking if we even want to be known so completely, so absolutely. Go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve hid in the garden and covered themselves rather than be exposed in the shame of their sin and their guilt. 
How quickly, how quickly the delight and freedom of their intimacy, their nakedness in all senses of the word, physically naked, emotionally naked, spiritually naked, mentally, how quickly the delight and freedom of that intimacy became the raw, soul-quaking fear of exposure. Do you remember it as they're hiding? God saying, where are you? And it's a rhetorical question. God knows where they are. Beloved Adam and Eve hid rather than be exposed, and we've been hiding ever since. Not daring to hope. Not daring to hope that we can truly be known for who we are and embraced at the same time. But the psalmist reminds us, and that's why it gets terrifying. The psalmist reminds us there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. We cannot run away, hide, or escape all that God knows about us. We can't hide behind words with God. We can't create alibis or make excuses for not showing up or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. We can't pretend we didn't understand or blame someone else because God knows the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about us. Even within this song, embedded within this song, I don't know how you read this part, but I'll tell you how I do. Even embedded within this song, there are, there are lyrics that we try to skip over. Some lectionaries that guide worship in the church and uh, will advise us to ignore parts of this song altogether. And if you've been reading through the Psalms with us this summer, you probably have come across lyrics like these that again, oftentimes in the lectionary, the planning of worship, we go, you know, uh, why don't you skip over that part? Lyrics like these, if you have your Bible open. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Parts like these in the Psalms, and like I said, there's others in other songs. These are the parts we prefer not to read. We choose to edit them out of our prayers and our responsive readings, not because they're not truly how we feel or things that we say, but because they express aloud feelings and attitudes we'd prefer not to acknowledge in ourselves. I mean, if people knew we had thoughts like these, if people heard us talk like this, if other people saw this side of our personalities, if other people witnessed us acting out these impulses, they'd reject us. They'd abandon us. They'd run as far away from us as they could get. I mean, isn't that what we would do? How many of you are hanging out with people on a regular basis go, hey, let's pray together. Lord, I hate them with a perfect hatred. Smite them, Lord. That's good prayer time, right? How many worship songs have been created by lyrics like these? You walk into church, see people start singing this, you walk out the door. <laughs> Again, we don't think, we, it's not that we don't think these thoughts, it's not that we don't have them, it's not even that we don't even act on these impulses, we just are not comfortable with them being exposed. We're not comfortable. We, we, we distance ourselves when other people talk like this, speak like this. But here's the thing, not God not our Father. The psalmist wants us to see that God knows us and God holds us. Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? Instead of hearing this rhetorical question asked by the songwriter as one riddled with anxiety, let us perhaps hear it as one filled with hope. The hope that lies in the realization of God's presence and pursuit of us no matter what. Beloved, God sees those ugly parts of ourselves, expressions of the darkness inside us, like here in this song. He sees the broken pieces of ourselves, the fragments of our lives that hang on to bitterness, to vengeance, to violence. God knows all this about us, and yet he doesn't leave or abandon us. He holds us. Our Father doesn't run away from us. He runs toward us. And the songwriter marvels at God's vigilance in pursuing us. There is no place where God is not. Not the farthest stretch of the universe, the belly of the earth, the place of undeparted souls or departed souls. Even the deepest darkness cannot block our Father's sight and nearness. God knows full well the capacity within us to do both great and terrible things. How easily we can take, we can cheapen, forsake life, even as we are given it as a gift. God knows too well the same potential within us to splice genes to save lives can split atoms to make bombs to annihilate millions. The same mouths that can gently kiss and express love to someone dear to us can shoot daggers of hate and prejudice through a choice word, a well-placed insult, or a juicy piece of gossip. God is well aware of this potential as the psalmist acknowledges. He sees our unformed substance. He's aware of our frail, frail frames. They're not hidden from his sight. The Lord knows that due to our sin, our inclination, inclination tips way more towards the bad than the good, and yet he doesn't abort or reject being in relationship with us. We need to hear that. Because sometimes we don't want to be known by this God, even though there's no way around it. But in realizing you're known by this God, also realize you're held still by this God. And so instead of huddling in the darkness, instead of being buried by our fears, instead of being convinced because of our guilt and our shame, we must remain isolated and alone. The Lord holds us. The Lord holds us so close, he becomes one of us. Unlike anyone else in our lives, the Lord doesn't betray or forsake our trust in him. In Christ, he is betrayed. He is forsaken to demonstrate his trust in us. My brothers and sisters, when's the last time you got real with your father? I'm asking this morning, I'm asking you a really deep question. When's the last time you got real with your father? Because if you're like me, you tend to play games. If you like me, you tend to play games with other people. And when I was younger and I'm still a little bit older and they're still with me, I play games with my earthly parents all the time. I play games with my mom and dad all the time. Are you like me? Do you exert as much energy as I do keeping up appearances? Do you spend as much time fixating on, pretending to have it all together to be something that you're not? Are you like me with the people that are close to me, my parents being a part of this, selective with information? We learned this early on as a kid, right? We're very, we don't give up a lot. We want to see how much our parents know because if they don't know a lot and we don't give them information, then they can't know what's going on. They can't hold us accountable, right? And we carry that into adulthood. We're selective with information, careful to avoid what we don't want to reveal, what we don't want others to know. 
We keep secrets. We make up stuff. We keep our cards close to the vest and try to bluff as we wait and see what other people are holding and how much they know about our hand. When's the last time you really stopped? Stopped and let it sink in that God knows everything about you. Everything. When's the last time you changed your default? The wasted effort of trying to fool the Lord and keep things from God. Are we letting the realization that God knows everything, that God our Father knows us more intimately and fully than we even know ourselves, are we allowing that to sink in or are we allowing that to cause us to run farther away, to find a better hiding space or to work harder to pretend he's not there? Because that's what we do, right? That's what we do in all of other, our other relationships. With everyone else, when we're exposed, we run. When we're exposed, we hide. When we're exposed, we just ignore it's not there. You want the greatest proof of this? Anytime a family is gathered around for dinner, watch when someone breaks the rules of talking about something that we just don't talk about in this family. We just don't talk about it because we live under the myth that if we don't talk about it, it never happened. It isn't happening. God doesn't play games. God's got no time for games. God knows everything. Beloved, we need to listen carefully to the singer of this song and get real with our Father. God knows everything, beloved, all of it. Stop acting like it didn't happen. Stop acting like it didn't happen. Stop acting in your life like it doesn't exist. I'm talking to someone this morning, maybe more than one person. Don't run. Don't hide. Where can you go that the Lord cannot follow? Where can you go? Don't keep acting like the Lord isn't there. And I know I'm talking to some people in this room right now. Don't keep acting like the Lord isn't there. Ignoring his presence in your life. Let God, our Father, hold you. Hold you. Relax and melt into the arms of his knowledge of you that the Lord knows you more intimately, more fully, and more graciously than you could ever imagine. Do not fear don't recoil. Facing the truth, being known by this God, yielding to this God who seeks after our paths, who presses into our innermost thoughts and desires, is not about leading to our rejection or abandonment. Facing the truth about ourselves leads us to the full truth about God in Jesus Christ and the cross. I'm reminded of a, a, a scene in a movie that I, that I really like. I don't recommend um, per se for the language, but the movie's Goodwill Hunting. Have you ever seen it? Matt Damon, Robin Williams. If you haven't seen it, if you're interested in seeing it, I'm going to give away something, so if you want to close your ears, you can. Um, I'm not going to tell you specifics, but Matt Damon is a really, really brilliant kid who's struggling to know who he is, and he is continuing to meet with Robin Williams, and there's a really, really powerful scene. It really strikes a chord because it reminds me back to what I referred to when I was in seventh grade. It's a picture for me of what God did in my own life, but literally, he basically, this, this, this Matt Damon, this kid, is great at playing games. He's so smart. And finally, there's this scene, and I'm not going to give you too much because I really want you to see it, where Robin Williams says, it's okay. 
And, and Matt Damon goes, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And he goes, no, no, really, it's okay. It's not your fault. He goes, yeah, 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 I know that. Yeah, absolutely. And he just keeps saying it. And you watch, and Matt Damon gets angry. First, he gets this look in his eye. And this kid is a kid who doesn't have a problem getting into a fight. And he just keeps saying it. And finally, he says, stop saying that, man. Stop saying it. Stop saying it. Shut up. Shut up. I mean, a little more colorful language than that. And finally, he just keeps saying it, and finally there comes this moment where you think he's gonna, Matt Damon's going to hit Robin Williams, and literally instead, he grabs him, and he just sobs in his arms. Let God hold you. Let God hold you. God knows us. God holds us. And then the psalmist ends this song by telling us God leads us. This song ends as it begins. It began with, if you have it open, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And it concludes with, search me, O God, and know me even more. Test my anxious thoughts. The song, the relationship intensifies as intimacy grows through integrity. After this brief diversion in the song about being angry about other people, about how they curse God and how easy it would be to compare myself with all those horrible people out there, the songwriter gets real and says, Lord, search me. Examine my heart. This blows me away every time. The psalmist invites correction. Intimacy grows through integrity in facing the truth about that God knows who he is and that God holds him in the midst of that knowledge. The psalmist is led into an openness to change, an openness to be changed. The way I hear it, the songwriter is saying, God, since you know me so well, since you hold me so much, then lead me in the way you want me to go. Don't let me wander back into those blind spots, those places in my life where I feel comfortable but are really just hideouts for me. Lead me into the truth about you, your knowledge of me, of who I am, of who I am becoming by your grace. Lead me into the way everlasting. And we know on this side of the Old Testament, the way everlasting is the way of the cross. Accepting God's complete knowledge of us, letting God embrace and hold us as we are totally exposed, leads us to Jesus and the cross. Because at the cross, we see the intersection of the truth about ourselves and the truth about God. At the cross, we can and we must cry out, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and test my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me. We ask this, we cry it out, not because we're free from fault, not because we fear being rejected, but because we look up and we see the truth about ourselves that put Jesus on that cross. But we also see the truth about the God who knew what he was getting into who willingly put himself on that cross, not despite everything he knows about us, the ugliest parts of us, but rather because he wants us to know him fully. The assurance of his love, his commitment to us, the power of his grace that lays his hands upon us, this grace that hems us in from behind and before Beloved, the psalmist doesn't praise God in this song for giving him life. The psalmist praises God in this song as his life. And it's knowledge that's too great for him to fully comprehend. Are we being so led this morning? Are we letting God lead in our lives? Are we letting God blow your mind this morning? Are you letting God blow your mind this morning? The God who created all of this knows you completely and fully and holds on to you and seeks to lead you. 
Or are we all sitting here this morning still as self-made persons? Is that what we are? Are we all just self-made persons who know more than God? Are we still sitting here in our assertion that we're rational human beings capable of making our own choices and therefore, by God, we're going to declare our own rights and privileges? Or do we yield before the knowledge of the one who is too wonderful, too lofty for us to contain? Do we still sit here and perceive our power to be in our independence? Do we still think that our power comes from our freedom? Or do we claim, are we rooted in the power of the one whose works are wonderful, who has searched and knows us, who knows when we rise and when we go to bed, who knows our words and our thoughts even before we utter them, who has not only fearfully and wonderfully made us, but keeps fearfully and wonderfully making us into the way everlasting. You hear this song, and oftentimes we quote this, I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the past tense, and it's absolutely applicable, but you're missing it if you don't understand it's also in the present and future tense. God didn't just fearfully and wonderfully make us. God continues to fearfully and wonderfully make us into who we are intended to be in Christ. You know, later on in the service, we're going to have that prayer of confession and that assurance of forgiveness and, you know, I've talked about it before because some of us have grown up in a tradition where we're used to it. Others of us struggle with it at times, the repetition, the roteness. You know, am I asking for forgiveness? Don't I trust? I've already been forgiven. We've covered all this ground. This song, though, helps maybe in, in another way amplify why this is such an essential part, not just of our worship on Sunday, but on your daily prayers, your regular prayers. We do this on Sunday to model something in your life. You should be praying a prayer of confession and assurance of forgiveness regularly in your life. Not because you have to doubt that God's forgiven you. Not because, by the way, you're sharing anything with God that he didn't know. Well, thank you for telling me that. I wasn't aware that you were doing that. If you listen to it in the context of this song, we pray this prayer of confession, not because we're telling God anything he doesn't know, but we're reminding ourselves, we're, we're entering that place we don't like to go of realizing God knows everything anyway. And so we ought to lay it out. And then the assurance of forgiveness comes that says that in God knowing everything, even the stuff we don't like to acknowledge, he still holds on to us. He holds on to us and says, it's okay. He holds on to us and then leads us to live out of that forgiveness. I look around in the church and I see a lot of people who aren't living out of the forgiveness that they have in Christ. And I've said this before, and I apologize if it's repetitious. The number one evidence that we're not living out of the forgiveness of Christ is our unwillingness to forgive ourselves and to forgive others. Are we being led by this God who knows everything, who holds us? Because when you've truly engaged this confession, when you've truly received this forgiveness, when you are known, held, and led by this God, it means you finally jump off the performance treadmill. How many of us are still on the treadmill? Rest! It means you can stop editing, self-editing in front of other people so that they'll think well of you. It means that we can be real and imperfect because I'm dearly loved by the one who ultimately matters. And it means I can finally get over my fear of other people and let them be real and imperfect. And I can love them regardless of whether they love me back. It means that I can truly seek to know others. And I can hold them, receive them, and lead them into the grace and love of Jesus. 
that I sit in, that I'm led by. So we sing the last song of our summer playlist from the book of Psalms. May the lyrics of this relational and incarnational masterpiece awaken hope within us that we have always longed for but never dreamed possible. The hope of being known. The hope of being held. The hope of being led. There's joy in realizing the one who created us in the depths of mystery beheld all our potential and inscribed our ultimate purpose before we were even aware As we still continue to figure such things out for ourselves, there is hope because our identity and our destiny are secure in Christ. There is healing that comes when we understand God's knowledge of us and self-revelation to us is not to bring us to harm, is not to pile on guilt and shame, but to lead us unto salvation. Despite our failures, in the midst of our rebellions, when our potential for evil is actualized over and against our power for good, our Father does not forsake or abandon us. There is hope, whether we take up the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea or curl up in a familiar and beloved place, there is hope that God is still there, still with us, still waiting for us, still calling our names as his children. There is grace in discovering God knows us so well, better than we know ourselves, and desires for us to know him so fully that he comes to be one of us in the flesh with our blood flowing through his veins, through his life willingly offered with arms outstretched on a cross as Jesus knows our name, holds us up, and leads us home. This doesn't happen to me a lot, but when I was preparing the sermon, I just kept having this song that was stuck in my head, and it wasn't the song of 139. It was a song that at first I thought was just didn't have anything to do with this, and this is going to seem really silly in a second, but when I couldn't get it out of my head, I don't know what you do, I looked it up because I, want, I wanted to look up all the lyrics because I don't know if I remembered them right. I wanted to remember where the song came from, and that song that was stuck in my head that I think God put in there is a song, by the way, that was created as a way of echoing this song. I have a maker. He formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me. No matter where I go. Sing it if you know it. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls. And he hears me when I call. Amen.